No my hide my. Welcome to the More Than Theology podcast. Kia ora, welcome. I'm Richard Goodwin, Academic Director at Pathways College, and today my guest is Jeremy Sustard. Uh, Jeremy is a fantastic guy. You're really going to enjoy listening to him. He uh, is currently doing an MDiv or Master of Divinity at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School uh, in Illinois in the US. Uh, Before that, he did a master's degree specializing in innovation, and he runs an innovation consultancy business called Creativate. And that's really what we want to press into today is just talking to Jeremy a little bit about innovation, particularly in the context of ministry. So welcome, Jeremy. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I remember when you told me that you were studying innovation, I thought, one, this is really cool. And two, how do you study innovation? Because when I think of innovation, I think of someone like, I guess, the, all the big names like Elon Musk or, or Steve Jobs and think, oh, were they just born that way? But you studied innovation, you now teach innovation. How does that work? Yeah, I guess how I how I fell into it was actually when I was in my undergrad degree at university. Um, I remember coming up with an idea. We had a public relations uh, case competition, and I remember coming up with this idea on the toilet, right? Which, um, and I remember as it came to me, I was like, "This idea is going to win us the competition." And um, that that sounds really arrogant, but it was just a really good idea. And I, I remember I was more fascinated with going. Why did that idea come to me then? Why does it seem like uh, I'm kind of good at coming up with ideas? Why do they seem to happen in places like when you're going for a run or on the toilet? Um, and so uh, obviously I went and youth pastored for five years, but that was always lingering. And so that was kind of the thing that led me to going, um, how does innovation happen? So when, when I launched into that, that master's, I knew nothing about it. And if you'd asked me what is innovation, I was the guy who was saying, oh, it's tech. It's, it's, it's all these massive creative things. And it is really innate. But then as I started to do some research, dig into it, um, both reading and, and doing some primary research, discovered um, a whole lot more about it. So uh, a couple of things I guess to answer your question. First of all, like defining the terms is super helpful. Um, I simply say innovation is a new way to solve a problem, right? Um, I remember working with one client and went in there and they said, let me show you our innovation team. And then they pushed open a door and my heart sank because it was young white guys on computers, right? And I was sitting there going like, cool, but that means the only problems you're going to be solving are digital problems and the only solutions you're going to come up with are digital solutions and so whenever I'm running a workshop and use the word innovation people freak out because they sit there and go I can't code or I don't know how to use a phone or I can't program my not a VCR but you know what I mean (laughs) and um, I'm like I'm the same I don't know how to code or do any of this but innovation if we think about it is just going hey new ways of solving problems suddenly it demystifies it and it welcomes everyone to the table so that that's that's part of it defining the terms but then maybe to your um, to your other question around it being innate what can be helpful to think about is going, I think, with, with innovation or if you want problem solving, uh, it's thinking about mindset and then it's thinking about process. Both can be learned. Um, but as we dig into this a bit deeper, maybe I'll also be able to show you guys how different mindsets are, are helpful at different stages of the innovation process. And so suddenly when we think of Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, we think of some creative in a room who's kind of like dreaming up amazing things. Um, That can be really helpful at some stages of the innovation process. But um, ideas are cheap, right? Execution is everything. And so suddenly it's like the accountant who sits there and goes, this is why this is not going to happen or this is what's going to happen next. They become a real valuable member. Mm, mm. So thinking about how this applies to church life and ministry and that kind of thing, do you feel like, yeah, churches need to be really innovative? Does innovation have a real important place in the church? I, I guess the answer back is our church is trying to solve problems. 
and yes, like it's like churches are now, you know, churches in New Zealand operating in a post-Christian um, society with new problems, new challenges. And um, yes, they need to have um, both mindsets and ways of going, how can we actually engage with these challenges and come up with sustainable, good solutions? Would it be helpful if I talked about kind of that process and that mindset? Yeah, please more? do. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So I guess um, one, of, one of the processes I teach and um, is really useful and it's borrowed heavily from um, Stanford's D School. Um, so if, if people are interested in this, um, Tom and David Kelly, who are two brothers who run the D School there and also run a company called IDEO, um, fantastic. Uh, also, if you're interested, they are evangelical Christians, but I only found that out a few years ago. Right. Um, but effectively, they say when you're, when you're solving problems, there's, there's five steps you want to work through, right? And so step one is empathy. And mm. so you, you start off with a problem, but often the problem you're trying to solve, it's not your problem. Mm. That's the first thing. And often you don't actually really understand what the problem is. You've got a hunch on what the problem is. So I can think of a church I um, was involved with once, and I remember them kind of like the, the leadership of the church going, ah, oh, you know, we've got, we've, I can't remember what the term they used, but effectively they were frustrated that the 18 to 30-year-olds were sitting in the back corner of the church right? That was a problem they had. And so these elders were going, what are we going to do to fix this kind of thing? And it's going, well, first of all, the if the first step is empathy, you've got to understand why this is a problem. First of all, talk amongst yourselves as elders and go, what, why is this a problem to us? If we could actually all write down and say, why is this a problem to us? What would we say? But then the next step, which so many churches don't do these days, is go and talk to those young adults. I know that sounds super basic, right? But actually go and talk to those young adults, empathize with them and go, hey, why do you guys sit, sit back down here? What's going on? And I think you'd find out it's not because they're trying to remove themselves from anything. It might be because of kids. It might be because this is where I feel comfortable, for example. And so suddenly there you've actually understood with much more clarity what the problem is. right? So if that first stage is empathy, the second stage is after you've talked to people, it's making sense. And it's, we call it the define stage. Does that make sense? So you've talked to all these people. You've got all this data and stories and feelings. The define stage is like you're going, what's the problem behind the problem? What's the actual problem we want to solve? So with, with that example... You know, we thought, oh, the problem is these young adults um, aren't engaging in church or they're sitting in the back corner. But we've actually discovered, oh, no, our problem is um, we're, we're not an intergenerational church. Right. Or our problem is uh, our, the way um, our service feels is they think if a child cries, it's really, really bad. So they have to sit at the back so they can really go there. Right. Yep. Very different problem to mm. what you're actually starting mm. with, right? Yeah. So you, you define that, um, you write that down. <clears> and then the next stage is what everyone thinks about um, when it comes to innovation. Uh, it's called ideate which literally means come up with ideas. Yeah. And maybe later on we can talk about that, um, yeah. especially processes around that. But um, <clears throat> that's the stage where you go, okay, well, what could we do to solve this problem? Now, mm. what, are, what are the parameters that, that we have to innovate within? Mm. So, for example, um, you probably have budget constraints. Mm. Um, I think as a church, you've got um, constraints by the Bible, right, as well, saying we, we do some things and we don't do some things, and that's great. So how do we ideate within there? Then there's the next step, which I think churches should have a monopoly on and they don't, which is prototype and test, right, which actually means try things, learn things. So sit there and go, hey, for the next three weeks, we're going to try this. And I just think if churches actually believe in grace and actually believe that um, we are the community which has a monopoly on the grace of God, we should be the organization, the community, whatever you want to call it, that tries things and is happy to learn and fail and mm. to be able to go, cool, it didn't work. We learned something, let's move on. But time and time again, churches are so petrified of um, trying new things because I think they almost equate failure with sin. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so that prototyping idea, it's almost like you've kind of got a theological lens for how you're thinking about innovation. Is it something that you think of differently when you're in a church context or is it kind of pretty much the same kind of skills that you'd be teaching in, say, the business world applied to church life? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, 
same process behind the scenes, but there's different things. I guess, for example, um, I, I think um, prayer and the role of the spirit um, is helpful in all of these stages, mm. right? Like as you're going to go and talk to these people and have these empathy conversations, often they'll turn into pastoral conversations. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, it's, in the business place, I've had people in tears as I've done this, not 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 because I've been so bad, but because <laughs> it's like you start scratching an itch and digging deep and actually talking person <clears throat> to person rather than job title to job title. Right. And so um, there is a theological aspect there. Um, mm. When I've done this in churches, which I haven't done much of, to be honest, but when I've done this, it's like actually involving prayer to mm. go through this. And, seeing how the scriptures might help us in this in this as well what what does the bible tell us about who our god is when it comes to um, new things and creating but even what does the bible tell us about who we are as a church does that make sense so yeah, yeah. so if you're moving into going kind of going oh like we feel like our church is an organization or uh, sorry a gathering where um if babies cry it's disruptive mm -hmm. that's probably a theological issue there as well mm. like you're probably going oh maybe our gathering is more about an event or a service mm. rather than actually a community of faith. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah, 100%. So yeah, but that, 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 those five steps of empathy, define, ideate, prototype, and test, they apply, you know, I've, I've used them in churches and businesses and schools, yada, yada, yada. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's really cool. I was just thinking too, um, in some ways, evangelicalism is almost defined by being innovative. You know what I mean? Because even though we're probably conservative theologically, um, and some of the church traditions that aren't always so conservative um, in terms of how they do church, if you like, is often really traditional. Um, <clears throat> the way you've put it in terms of problem solving seems to me that probably every church needs to innovate, even if it's they're not going to touch the Sunday morning or the building, you know, if that's sort of all kind of more or less going to stay the same, but they're all going to be solving problems. Um, but do you have any thoughts a little bit about thinking about evangelicalism and just the the fact that we are we do tend to innovate with methods, buildings, technologies, and and I guess then reflecting a little bit on do we do innovation well and what could we be doing better? Yeah, um, great question. I, I think... Um, so in the business world as well, like to take a step back, the people who pay me to come in are big businesses, not startups, mm. right? Because startups have to do this stuff or they die. They don't have enough runway or cash or capital, whatever you want to call it. If they're not solving their end users' needs, they die. Cool. Um, but then when you get a big organization, which has been around, there's one organization I've been working with, it's probably been around for about 80 or 90 years, uh, you know, employing hundreds of staff. They've got capital, but they've also got traditions, and so it's easy for them to forget what it looks like to actually solve your end users' problems. Mm. All right? you, you think about it, in the early days of a startup, almost everyone on the team is rubbing shoulders with their end users. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. you're actually talking to it. Mm. By the time 80 years down the track, the CEO possibly never sees an end user. Right? And that can filter through. So it's big businesses I work with to try and get them in touch with these things. And I think it actually applies to churches as well because um, I would argue most of the, if you want to call it innovation or novel problem solving, happens from church plants which grow rapidly. Yeah. And then often what happens is more established churches read a book by that pastor or learn something from that pastor and then seek to apply it within their own organization. But these startups, um, I think often, uh, sorry, these, these church plants, um, there's a few things that happen there. A, they're already taking a massive risk. So what's another little risk on top of it? Sure. Um, B, it seems like, and I don't know why, but from the little I look at it, um, it seems like in church plants, that's where people come to faith. Do you know, like exaggerating to the extreme there. Mm. But so it's like you get new people coming in. So suddenly you do have new problems to, to solve. But also church plants often have some strong leaders who are willing to do this. But and, and, and I guess as well, maybe I might, I've never been part of a church plant. But you sit there and you go like, if after three years it's not working and the church plant folds, that's sad. 
but you can still look back on what you've done, right? Whereas suddenly you imagine if you're pastoring a church which has been around for 100 years and you make some decisions and that church folds, mm. that's different. Mm. And so there's, a, there's, there's almost more, more skin in the game or, or, or almost mm. a fear of sometimes solving problems in new ways mm. because there's a fear of losing what you've got. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I'll just silence my phone. Rookie mistake. <laughs> Yeah, um, 100%. And so do you have any thoughts about like people that are in really established churches and they don't want to tinker or probably realistically, it's probably the people in the congregation maybe are putting pressure and saying, you know, whether they're saying it or just implying it, don't mess with the formula we've got. Do you have any kind of advice or thoughts about that? Yeah, well, it's that same thing of actually using that process we talked about. So I'm going and talking to those people and trying to understand, okay, like, What's the problem you have here with change? Trying to understand it. Like a fantastic problem could could actually be going like, how might we rethink um, how our church operates? That could be an entire two-year problem-solving challenge, which the sure. church comes along with, you know? But but what you do is it's also seeking how do you involve people in this? So you, you, you're you smart. You can probably see this. That empathy stage, right, where you're going and talking to people, that requires people with a pastoral heart who can sit down and be warm with people and do this. So there's people you go, hey, can you help lead this bit? The defined stage where you're really trying to make sense of what's going on here, that requires people with um, not necessarily business acumen, but detail, requires people strategic thinkers. It requires people who can disagree with each other, who can say, no, I think you're wrong with what what was coming up from there. Um, The ideation stage, that requires people who can do a bit of that blue sky thinking. You know, the testing stage, that's where it requires people who can be a little bit radical, those people who can who can lead things. So suddenly instead of thinking, oh, why aren't our elders being innovative or why, you know, or a church pastor thinking they have to do it themselves. It's recognizing well, what skills do we need at each of these stages, and suddenly you can bring along a body for the for the ride. Mm. Does that does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I know this is a huge sort of broad picture view, and it's hard to generalize. But do you have a sense of what the state of innovation is in the church in Aotearoa? Are there any like shining examples or anything that stands out to you as just good innovation? Um, I, I don't know, and I think as well, it's, it comes down to the challenge of that word. You know, because it's like if we wanted to put together a publication of latest innovations from the New Zealand church, it would be flash techie things that are impacting thousands of people. Right. Mm. But um, I also think, you know, um, when when in Ephesians 5, where it talks about um, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, sometimes that's smaller. Yeah. You know, like when we think, we always think big when it's mm. immeasurably more. But I, I like one example I remember hearing from um, Norm Silcock about the small church somewhere in the Hawke's Bay or Wairarapa, I cannot remember. And it's like they were just going, these elders, like kind of quite an elderly church, they were just going, how do we reconnect with our community? And instead of doing the classic thing of like going, oh, we'll you know, get a flash young speaker in to do something and run these events, they just decided every Sunday afternoon to run a community lunch where they put on a feed and anyone who wants to can come along and have a free feed. And now, would that make an innovation book? No. Is it incredibly simple? Yes. How many, they get like 20 or 30 people coming along and it's just like, I just sit there and go, what an amazing, cool way to solving a problem. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Um, I, I can think about our church here. Um, I, I'm not sure if you were around there, but when we did that face-to-face series and we wanted to grow a culture of discipleship and one of the things I was impressed with at our church, we tried something, which was cool. And, and it was literally moving our church, which is in a traditional uh, auditorium, mm. into into like sitting in a U. Mm. And so suddenly... Um, which is really traditional. It, well, yeah. it used to be a square, didn't it? With the, yeah, was it? So, yeah, with like the, the Lord's Supper. So it was, it yeah. was an old idea coming mm. in. But um, suddenly it was like, you know, people were coming in and they were sitting and looking at people. And when mm. you were preaching, it was fantastic. You were never more than like a meter away from people. And yeah. 
the idea worked for some, some loved it, some hated it. Cool. I just love that we tried it. Mm. So I, I guess I just don't want people thinking, oh, innovation has to be this big flashy thing. And there's probably stories of innovation bubbling away in every single church. We just don't hear about them. Mm. Right. So it could be cool to share them, but it's more important, I think, for churches to actually take some of those steps of faith, if you want, or take some of those risks themselves. Mm. And Flag innovation and problem solving. You sit mm. there and go, if there was a church that really practiced empathy, mm. right? Mm. Talking to their people well, really practiced trying to make sense of what they're hearing, mm. really practiced like prayerfully imagining what could God be doing here, then boldly tried things and discovered. Like that's a church people would probably want to be part of. 100%. Even if they never use the word innovation. Yeah. You know? And it's and that word innovation, I think what you've done a really good job of so far is kind of stripping away the preconceived notions because I think we do think tech, right? Mm-hmm. I, the examples I use of Elon Musk and Steve Jobs are tech guys, mm-hmm. really. And um, <clears throat> and But what you're actually talking about is problem solving in a very kind of broad kind of way mm-hmm. and um, something that, yeah, it's not just about the the big churches, the flash churches, the churches with big budgets, but it's just any church that's trying to trying to solve problems. Like yeah. You said. And so when I run this with organizations as well and you get to the ideation stage, people always come up with an app as the yeah. idea, yeah. right? <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool. But then it's like, um, I don't have these stats off the top of my head. I, I normally have them in these workshops, but it's something like um, the, the average app that is released to the app store um, after 72 hours has exactly zero downloads. Um, the average app, once it's opened once, uh, isn't opened again, oh, right? Wow. On average. So it's it's like an app feels like a real easy idea. It's so hard, mm. like hard to design well, incredibly expensive, mm. but then it's hard to make what you call sticky, you know, so mm. that people, and you can think about that. Like mm. how many apps have you downloaded in the last six months that have made a big difference in your life that you keep going back to? You know, yeah, not many. I spend most of my time deleting apps on my phone to simplify yeah. it rather than downloading new ones. So it's like sometimes the ideas we think are really, really good. Oh, we'll just make an app for our church or, you know, it's yeah. normally for our business. It's like yeah. that's actually a really hard and probably a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. Like let's not just bind ourselves to tech. I'm mm-hmm. not anti-tech. I'm not a Luddite. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's making sure everyone's got a voice at the table, the accountants, the elderly, um, the, the kids or the kids pastors and the like mm. how can you get all of them involved mm, mm. earlier on you were talking about you know you've talked about the stages of going through the process of innovation mm. um i might have got this wrong but i i thought you might have flagged prototyping or was it one of those oh, other ideation. Stage, ideation yeah can you kind of like look at that a little bit more yeah, and yeah, give yeah. some give some hats? so one of the one of the things that's helpful for that is um just learning so with each of these stages as well there's like i think this was going back to your original question there's an innate attitude or ability that some people have mm. but with ideation for example there's all, for all of them there's processes or techniques you can use so um classic one as well like here's one in new zealand when you talk about brainstorming mm. the normal way it happens here right there. <laughs> you would have thought i learned how to drink out of a bottle by now but uh, we'll get you a tissue for that later. um when you think of brainstorming the usual way i ran brainstorming and i've been in brainstorming is mm. like you sit there and you go oh we've got this problem we need some ideas we get five people in the room we mm. get a whiteboard and then we go what ideas do you have and, <laughs> and like richard goes oh well you know we need to have animals in the church and so we write that down and, and yada yada whatever <laughs> that's, and that's okay right <laughs> but it's it's amazing how um some research has, has like here is the way to brainstorm even if you're not doing problem solving mm. first of all have a very clear definition of what the challenge is and write that on the whiteboard so everyone knows what it is you're doing but then second of all you say okay everyone in silence you've got five minutes to come up with as many ideas as you can what you do actually is you give people a target so you say you've got five minutes to come up with 12 ideas mm. otherwise what they do is they come up with three or four 
and then they stop because right. coming up with more than four ideas is hard, mm. right? There was some interesting research that was done. I can't remember where it came out from because this was 2014 when I was doing my master's, but they were showing if you ask people to come up with 10 ideas, normally their most creative ideas, yes, they assess that, was ideas either seven, eight, or nine. Yeah. But most people give up mm. at one, two, three, or four. Yeah, I've heard of writers talk about, um, I think I've heard it called doing the 20s or I think there's mm. different versions of it, but it's basically like instead of going with your first, second, or third idea, force yourself, even if you mm. think they're quite good, force yourself to come up with 20 mm -hmm. because actually the gold will come later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, but anyhow, put put some music on with no lyrics for five minutes. Mm. Uh, yes, giving people a stack of post-it notes is helpful and the golden rule is always one idea per post-it note as well. Um, but then give people those challenges. If they start talking or joking, um, as a facilitator, you tell them to be quiet and say, no, 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 we've got five minutes for this. And, and then at the, at the end of those five minutes, what you start doing is, um, you know, let's say there's four people in the room uh, if they've all come up with 10 ideas, that's 40 ideas. Um, and you just get people to read out their ideas and stick them out and then actually have a conversation about them. And it's fascinating. I, I ran this with an organization two weekends ago and, you know, we had um, 15 people in the room or something. And so it's like within five, no, let me be honest, within about six minutes, I think we'd come up with just under 300 ideas. Whoa. Now, if I'd said, what ideas do you have for six minutes? And Richard said, oh, we should bring animals in. Suddenly, everyone's thinking about animals. Mm. You know, it's just that classic group think thing. Mm. And then the next idea will probably be bouncing off that. Oh, maybe not animals, but but like, what if we had Lego mm. in there? And suddenly, we're thinking about bringing things in, which mm. is neat. Whereas all of a sudden, if instead you're doing the ideation, mm. coming up with the ideas individually, mm. you start to create these. You, a, you get a huge quantity of ideas, but then you start to have a conversation about the ideas after you've come up with them, rather than during. So that's just a little process thing, right? Mm. Like that that. Anyone could do that, super simple, um, but leads to a real significant result. And and the cool thing with that is when you get to the ideation stage, you always get people go, I'm not creative. And you're like, cool, that's okay. But giving them some tips along their way, like giving them a process of going, please do this. You know, If you're in a group doing it, they would just sit back and not say anything. But if you say, okay, everyone, 10 minutes, come up with 10 ideas, or five minutes, come up with 10 ideas, suddenly everyone's involved in that stage. So mm. that's just a way of like little process hacks can help yeah that's awesome and you mentioned groupthink what is groupthink exactly what like i hear it mentioned but what is it about thinking as a group that often isn't very helpful oh so in any stage especially um ideation though like ideation you, i mean your rule of 20s or they talk about um you know quantity breeds quality so if mm. you want one good idea come up with 100 right um the problem with groupthink is or all groupthink is is if you've got three people in a room and one person says a purple elephant everyone's thinking about a purple elephant now mm. and so when it comes to ideation the first person who speaks sets the direction for where ideation is going to go um, normally the first person who speaks is a male <laughs> uh, normally they're a leader and an extrovert and so it, it directs it in a certain way whereas by suddenly going like this like going no do this individually i promise you whenever i do this the introverts in the room are the people who are a little bit scared you know when they come to sharing their idea they go oh my ideas aren't great, but here they are. They would never have shared them otherwise because groupthink right. would have dominated and they would have said, oh, my, like Richard's idea is awesome. Mm. I could never come up with an idea like this. So mm. groupthink is just when one person says something, it means everyone's thinking it and it leads them in that direction. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, it, yeah. an ideation at least, yeah. Mm. Um, have you figured out why good ideas come to you on the toilet? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, or, or like for me, it's either, you know, on the toilet or more realistically now, probably if I'm out for a run or yeah, a walk. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was funny. I, I guess um, getting getting into pedantics as well, that's probably more the domain of creativity. 
Um, oh, and so okay. creativity, they often talk about as, you know, the ability to come up with ideas. Mm. But innovation is kind of the process of executing or the, yeah. uh, of problem solving. Um, I remember when I was teaching at the University of Waikato a couple of years ago, it was like some guy came up to me who was convinced. He was like, I'm an ideas man and I just want to get paid to be an ideas man. And I'm like, I promise you, every single business out there has enough ideas. The challenge is they don't know how to execute on them. Like right. nobody wants an ideas man. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but, but anyhow, so I didn't actually end up doing a heap of research on, on that original thing that, right. that, that scratched it. Um, they do talk about with mindset um, a few things. First of all, um, letting the subconscious um, take over a bit. So chewing on an idea. Mm. Um, and I guess maybe when you're on the toilet or in the shower, it's a place where you're not thinking too much. Um, and there's, you know, not many other distractions apart from maybe your cell phone, um, depending on your <laughs> toilet hygiene. Uh, or, or, or if you're out on a run, for example, it's like you can kind of just get into that state where things start chewing over and maybe you start getting ideas for sermons or, you know mm. what I mean? And so um, I, I don't know. I think there's something about getting out of your usual um, can be helpful with that. But um yeah, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, so is creativity kind of a subset? It sort of fit under the ideation stage, but you're kind of interested in the bigger process? Is that fair? Yeah, when I started my master's, um, I probably was more interested in creativity, but mm. then quickly kind of as from reading was going, oh, it's actually the innovation and problem solving that, that people need. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, like we could come up with a list of 20 ideas now for, for pathways, but we don't know what the problems are. We haven't thought about that. We haven't talked to people. And then we've got no way of actually testing and developing these. Like, so innovation or problem solving is, is far bigger than just creativity. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I think one thing you kind of alluded to earlier um, was that when you were talking about church plants and so on, that they, or startups, mm. um, are just naturally doing innovation. And that we're probably all, because a lot of the work that any of us do is sort of engaged in trying to solve problems. Mm. You know, every day a problem crops up and you try and solve it. Um, and so even though we wouldn't call it innovation, we're still doing it. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of um, invisible or implicit kind of innovation that a lot of us are engaged in. So what is the value you think about actually looking at innovation as a, a bit more um, deliberately, intentionally? Systematically. Systematically, yeah. yeah um, mm. I think... So most of the time you're not solving you're not solving a problem that you have, right? Okay, yeah, so you yeah, think yeah. about it on this here's, here, on this podcast here. Mm. I'm explaining something that I know, mm. so I'm not trying to solve my own problem here. It's like I get it. Yeah. Um. The, the classic example that's used in the literature, and I think it's um, like an urban myth, but mm. it's like the bra was invented by a man. Mm. You know, it's mm. he wasn't solving a need he had, mm. right? And so um. So often with innovation, people, or if you want to call it that implicit innovation, people jump straight to ideation. Mm. They never actually go, who's this problem impacting? Mm. What is this problem really? Do I even know it's a problem? Uh, like the example of the people at the back of the church. It's like if you jump to solutions, you're actually solving the wrong problem. You know, um, They talk about as well that um, big big problems often swing on little hinges and it's trying to find what's the actual problem behind the problem that's that's really causing this. So you know, our imaginary problem there was, oh, it was around um, parents parents feel uncomfortable if their kids cry. Mm. Uh, we've made this one up, you know, mm. but suddenly it's like a very, very small problem. And suddenly your solutions you're coming up with far different than if you'd just said, oh, the young adults aren't engaged in a church service, mm. you know? And so I'm um, doing that first of all, and then that defined stage as well of just being able to clearly articulate the problem. Um, it, it means you're more likely solving the actual felt problem, not mm. just what you think the problem is. Mm. Um, so, I mean, another 
little tip and i do this more in businesses than in churches but if you go into a group that's wanting to solve something the first thing you do is like let's say there's 10 people in the room and say okay everyone uh, on a post-it note because that's what we do got to keep three in alive somehow um <laughs> on a post-it note write down what you think the problem is we're trying to solve today and 90 percent of the time you get 10 different answers you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. and so it's j just bringing some clarity to that yeah. is really, really helpful. Um, and so it's it's not me saying, um, oh yeah, people can't do problem solving without this. It's going, mm. yeah, yeah, but here's just a real helpful framework so you can kind of uh, teach it to people. Mm. You can also step back and be a little bit objective and go, mm. hang on, where are we in the process? Mm. Um, because that there is obviously iterative as well. So yeah. empathize, define, you come up with some ideas, you test them and you go, oh no, that hasn't quite worked. So it's like going back and talking to some people. What did you think about this? Oh, maybe we could actually try. You, you get what I mean like this? Yeah, and so yeah. I think probably the best problem solvers or innovators intuit that process mm. you know um but for a lot of people most most kiwis will say i'm not innovative and so it's just kind of going well here's a way that you can participate in a problem solving process that could be really helpful yeah i, I guess that's it yeah um, yeah yeah so it's making you it, it's like um let's think about like running mm. right like everyone can run well <laughs> most people can <laughs> yeah, run yeah. i hope who knows yeah but then it's like but if you actually want to take running seriously you get go to a running coach and that sounds hilarious mm. like a coach to teach you in your 20s how mm. to run mm. something you've done forever but you recognize they're wanting to improve you you know so they're wanting to maybe improve your form or like mm. i don't know use this equipment or have this mindset or do this i've never been to a running coach as you can probably tell um but it's like it's to me it's kind of the same thing it's like yes everyone can run mm. but if you want to run better here's what you do so yes yeah. everyone can problem solve and Perhaps people's um, baseline problem solving levels are, are different, but here's something that can maybe bump everyone along, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Well, while we're on that note, and um, since we're more or less, you know, out of time, um, is there a way that you, people can get in touch with you if they wanted to, I don't know, use Creative 8 services or um, get more um, uh, just insights into innovation, um, any kind of information you're putting out there? Um, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not doing a whole lot now because I'm doing this MDiv. So um, I'm probably only working kind of a day and a half a week. Um, so I'm not really producing much. I mean, first of all, like, just reading good stuff on this is helpful. Um, innovation's a buzzword, as you know. So every, you know, person and their dog is writing horrific blog articles about this reading reading stuff from from ideo is always good um there's an organization uh is it fahrenheit 451 in new york um that are really good at this kind of stuff as well um in new zealand um better by design which is a subset of new zealand trade and enterprise they do really really good work um uh, unfiltered is is an auckland agency that do really good work so learning some of the good ones and seeing what they put out is good um and, and I guess, uh, yeah, people can contact me. It's www.creative8.co.nz or jeremy at creative8.co.nz or just call Richard and uh, <laughs> he'll give you my cell phone number. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Oh, it's been a pleasure having you here, Jeremy. It's actually super interesting for me. One thing I didn't say is that Jeremy's one of my BFFs. And uh, as much as we love to um, get together at Subway and talk about stuff, I've actually never really asked him much about what he knows about innovation so it's been really interesting for me so thanks so cool. much for being here no worries. and um, giving away a bit of your knowledge appreciate it cool thanks yeah. very much see ya